You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. This evening, as you can tell, this is a little bit different. We're going to have a Q&A with Pastor Caldwell here this evening. We do this every three months or so. A pastor had reached out even last week and had mentioned that a certain topic was on his heart and he thought it would be wise and good for us and helpful for us, the congregation, to talk about the topic of discernment and wisdom. And as you can expect, this is something that it can be, for a lot of people, difficult and complex, and yet at the same time, God's Word is clear about the topic too. And so I'm looking forward to hearing what Pastor Caldwell has to share with us. You know, Pastor, Psalm 19, verse 7 is one of my favorite verses. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, the testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We need the Lord to make us wise, simple as we are. We need God's wisdom. And that should be our frequent prayer. In fact, in the book of James, this is one of the first verses at the beginning of that wonderful book. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And that's all of us even tonight. We should be praying. We should be thinking, I need wisdom. I need discernment, which is to say, like Psalm 19.7 would say, I need the teachings and the testimonies of the Lord. So let's discuss this tonight. If there's anything you want to begin with or address, otherwise I'll jump right into questions. Yeah, I could just lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity that Josh and I have to talk about this topic that is vital to all of our lives. You have emphasized it in your word. You have set it before us in a way that should call forth from your people desire and longing and a sense of need. And you don't do that, Lord, about things that we don't need. And so I pray that as we think tonight about wisdom and discernment, that you would stoke the fire in our hearts that was birthed through salvation, but sometimes, Lord, through neglect can not be as strong as it should be. Lord, would you increase the desire in our hearts for that wisdom that comes from you and help us to be clear in our conversation and explanations that we might be of help to your people tonight. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor, where do we begin in our quest to be a discerning and wise Christian? It begins with salvation. Colossians 2, 3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. So it is knowing God, as you just mentioned there from Psalm 19, and the only way to know God, obviously, is through His Son. So it is knowing God through Jesus Christ where wisdom is known. Obviously, there's more than one kind of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world. The book of James talks about this. He describes it as earthly, natural, and demonic. So right away, we should be clued into the fact that our wisdom is not only insufficient, it is actually standing in the way of what would make for a life that honors God and, and is blessed. So where then is wisdom found? It's found in our Creator. And we don't know Him apart from Him saving us, but once He saves us, then the doors are open, the access is there for the wisdom that comes from Him. And so that's where it all begins. It begins with salvation. Beyond that initial step, beyond the need for salvation, is the knowledge that we need wisdom. So the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. This is what the book of Proverbs says. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. 
And so, you know, tied up in that are a number of different attitudes and aspects of understanding. To know that I need wisdom is to embrace the heart of humility. It's to know that I need to learn. It's also to have faith in the sufficiency of the one who offers wisdom to me. The book of James, as you mentioned, we're taught to ask God who gives generously. If we know that we need wisdom, ask him and he gives generously. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is pictured like a, a woman who stands at a street corner and raises her voice and she's offered to everyone who passes by. So wisdom is accessible. God is offering us wisdom if we desire it. And so it begins with knowing the Lord, then knowing that we need the wisdom that is found only in him having the kind of faith that doesn't look to ourselves, to this lost and dying world, for the way we're going to think and the way we're going to look at life and the way we're going to live life. So the heart of humility that knows not only my need, but then knows the willingness to be taught. It's interesting also in the book of Proverbs how often wisdom is talked about in the context of a father's instruction. And so that willingness to learn can begin very early in life. Even these young people who've come to know Christ at a young age, what a glorious, gracious blessing it is to know Jesus when you're young. Well, God has put you in, if you belong to a Christian family, God has placed you in a home where wisdom is taught. And so the willingness to be submissive and a learner to your own parents is an important part of that. But to all your teachers, though, so when you talk about that we're blessed to have a Christian school, one of the things that should stand out about our Christian school, the thing about is Founders Christian School, what should stand out about this school? Our students who are humble and teachable and giving their ear to the wise instruction of godly men and women who teach them. Obviously, the church is a place where the wisdom of God is taught through the Word of God. So am I a learner? I think about Psalm 111 where it says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. Good insight belongs to all those who do His commandments. Knowing the Lord, yes, but in addition to that, then walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in an attitude of reverence for God. Knowing that we live our lives before the face of God. So that our conscience is informed by the knowledge of His presence and the knowledge of His knowledge and the knowledge of His goodness and kindness as we talked about in this morning's sermon, how that should affect, how that should inform our hearts with respect to being a learner from the Lord. Then knowing how we access the wisdom that is ours from the Lord in His Son, that's in His Word. Good insight belongs to those who do His commandments. So not as James says, not just being a hearer of the Word, but a doer of what His Word instructs us to do. All that is wrapped up in this pursuit of knowledge. So salvation, the right source, the right heart posture, turning our attention to the means that he's given us to gain that wisdom, that is his word, internalizing that word. Something else you'll see in the book of Proverbs is that those who know wisdom, his word forms their meditations. In fact, you read the book of Proverbs, a man paying attention to even creation and learning lessons from it. Slugger, go look at the ant. See what happens in the summertime, etc., etc. So so someone who lives their life saturated with Scripture and then evaluating all of life through that grid of truth so that you're constantly running over in your mind the things that you are learning from the Word of God and then 
plugging that knowledge into all the things you're facing, all the decisions you have to make, down to the level of the words that come out of your mouth, because this is something else you see about wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It comes out of the mouths of those who have it in their hearts. So all you have to do to know a fool is listen to him or her talk. And you go, there's a fool. But the same is true with the wise man or woman. Just listen to them speak. And out of their mouth comes, you know, the streams of truth found in the Word of God. Truth that has been embodied, truth that has taken on flesh, so to speak, because it's not that they're just quoting verses of Scripture. There are some very foolish people who can quote verses of Scripture. There are false teachers who can quote verses of Scripture. But Scripture that is learned in fellowship with God, internalized in worship toward God, meditated on with the desire to please God, and then put into flesh and blood as you then strive to live those things out. Wisdom abides there. I think a good exercise would be when you have time this week, if you have a Bible app where you can search on a particular word, there's an app you can find, I believe it's free, it's called Literal Word, and the Bible version is the New American Standard, but it has great search functions even on the original languages. And you just do a word search on the word wisdom. Here's your homework for the week. Do that word search and then categorize what you see in those verses. So if you go to those verses and you ask the question, how can I learn wisdom? Then walk through all the verses that reference wisdom and categorize the various ways that you learn it. Let me just do a little bit of this with you. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there you see, reverence for God is where wisdom is going to be learned. And it's the opposite of what you see in a fool who can't be taught. Right? A fool despises wisdom and instruction. So are you characterized by a reverence for God that makes you a teachable person? Proverbs 2.2, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. So it's not just my ear that is inclined to wisdom, but my heart is. Incline your heart to understanding. I'm not just willing to listen. I want to learn and to practice what I hear. That's what characterizes a wise person. Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. It's a gift. You'll never earn it, deserve it. It'll never be explained by you which is why the book of James says to ask him. Ask God who gives generously. Wisdom is a gift from the Lord. He teaches you as you walk with him. He's the teacher. And you're learning wisdom in the schoolhouse of life. And as the perfectly wise teacher, he not only has given you the means by which he's going to impart wisdom to you, his word, he's going to add providentially all the ingredients necessary for you to learn what he wants you to learn through your circumstances. So that I understand nothing is happening in my life that's accidental. All of it's a part of his training of me. He's training us. Every son whom he receives, he trains. And so what I'm going through is on purpose. And there's something I'm to learn in every one of the circumstances I'm walking through. This has to be my heart attitude. Proverbs 2.7 talks about the importance of holiness, of integrity, honesty, Purity. Proverbs 2 7 says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. 
He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So is there a connection between wisdom and holiness? Is there a connection between wisdom and putting away sin, confessing my sins, turning from my sins, walking in what is right in the sight of God, living a life of integrity? Oh, there certainly is, according to that verse. The blessings of wisdom. Do I treasure it? This is something you see again and again. I mean, this man knows PhD in the Old Testament. He knows this better than anybody here. But go through the wisdom literature and something set before you over and over and over again is the value of wisdom. More valuable than all the treasures of the earth, more valuable than anything else you could desire is to desire the wisdom of God. Proverbs 2.10 talks about the value of that not just in navigating life, but the condition of your own soul. It says, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Find someone who is doing well in their inner man. And there is someone who is walking in the Lord's wisdom, desiring the Lord's wisdom, discovering the Lord's Wisdom. Proverbs 3.13 says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. There's maintenance when it comes to wisdom. Solomon is such a poignant, sobering example for us because here's someone so wise that queens would travel to sit at his feet, so to speak, and yet he made a mess of his life. You can know things, you can be wise from the standpoint of understanding, perception, diagnosis, and miss it when it comes to your own life. The need to maintain by walking with the Lord. Proverbs 3.21 says, My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And even have the Proverbs will talk about having these reminders Keep reminding yourself of the truth. Keep the truth before your mind's eye. Don't let those things escape your notice. And then practice them. Live what you know. The importance of our speech. Proverbs 4, 5, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call understanding my intimate friend. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. So salvation, faith in the sufficiency of the one who teaches us wisdom, knowledge of the means by which we learn that wisdom, his word as we walk with him, accessing the word of God in a devotional, worshipful vein, putting away sin, choosing what is upright, and represents integrity. Continuing to pursue truth even after you know it by your practice. You, you, you don't consider yourself to have attained. You keep those things near to you and dear to you down to the level of what comes out of your mouth, what goes on in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Proverbs 10.31 when pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. 
You see a man wise in his own eyes, the Bible says, there's more hope for a fool than for him. And so the kind of humility that is never impressed with itself, you never think to yourself, my, I am so wise. You're a fool. And so you know that if, if you've learned anything, the Lord taught you. And if he doesn't sustain it in you, it will go away. What is there that we have that he didn't give to us? And what is there that we can sustain in our own strength? So that every step of the way, we are blessed and thankful at rest in our hearts for anything the Lord has taught us and is teaching us. So that it's not a, wisdom is not what exalts you, but rather what exalts God in your sight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. More than we could say, but anyway, that's a good start, I think. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. You just answered every question that I had. In we're, this done. Yeah, we're done. We're done. Let's, Let's go, go home. home. <laughs> <laughs> and that was wonderful. Thank you. Let me circle back to, you mentioned Solomon. I'm going to give you two historical examples in the Bible, of course, that had wisdom and discernment and understanding. So one, I'm going to give you Joseph. Joseph, in Genesis 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, that is, God has shown you all of this, all that's about to take place in Egypt, of course, the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And he says, there is none so discerning and wise as you are, he says to Joseph. And then you've got Solomon, 1 Kings 3, who prays and asks God, he says, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. Who is able to govern this great people. So you have in Joseph, a man who did not start out with maybe great understanding and wisdom, but who has acquired it over this time period. And he's roughly 30 years old by the time he's exalted to Pharaoh's side. And then you have Solomon who had wisdom and discernment at the beginning, but then as you mentioned, he totally lost it. What takes place in an individual to where they get to Joseph's status, that is to somebody who is discerning and wise in the fear of the Lord, what has to take place to get to that point? And then what happens to a man who has discernment and wisdom at a point in his life, but then he falls? Yeah, doesn't live like it. I think the things that we mentioned in walking through those Proverbs, so in the case of someone like Joseph, what happens is continued submission and obedience in all the circumstances of life that the Lord chooses to put you in to the extent that even when you experience bitter things. You're not made bitter by those things. You worship. So you have Joseph at the end of his life. His brothers come and they don't know he is who he is. He has every opportunity for vengeance if that's what's in his heart. But he weeps and embraces them as his family and loves them and takes care of them and is able to vocalize the truth that you meant to do me harm. But God meant it for good. So that kind of perspective, that you're not embittered by your circumstances, you worship through your circumstances so that that schoolhouse is never wasted. That in and of itself is wisdom. You know, it's knowing God. I mean, that's really the question, isn't it, that keeps being put before us in the Word of God. Do we know our God? I mean, He's made Himself known to us and made us to know Him. But now are we knowing him? And if I know him, then I know he's perfectly wise, perfectly good, perfectly loving, which means perfectly trustworthy. And even when I meet with things that are hard, 
I want to remain under the trial. I don't want to run from it. I don't want to try to escape it. I want to remain under the trial in the sense that I'm a learner in the midst of it. And what I want to strive for in the midst of the test is to pass it. I want to not just get past it, but to pass the test. I want to honor the Lord in the midst of this test. This is what you see in Joseph, a man who goes through these enormous difficulties, falsely accused and all the rest, and yet he emerges from it, glorifying the Lord. I think in the case of Solomon, you see someone who had a head full of information, but ignored it when it came to his steps. And so what we're called to do is to walk in wisdom, to walk in it. I mean, a man can really have insight and not benefit from it. Solomon had tremendous insight. But insight apart from worship, insight apart from devotion to the God who gave you that insight, results in pain and loss and ruin. And we see this, don't we, in our world? We see men who were useful for a time, but end up in shipwreck because they don't take what they know and apply it to their feet. So that would be the difference. And a great question, we're in a church that emphasizes teaching in everything we do, including singing. Again, we have a classical Christian school where teaching is important. We have a seminary where teaching is important. I think one of the dangers for a church like ours is to confuse knowledge of truth with obedience to truth. We're not obeying just because we know it. We're obeying when we obey it. And so what we need to keep exhorting each other about is thank God for the things he's taught us, but now what are we doing with it? And we've got to walk in it. We've got to reach our feet. We've got to obey it. Then the question here is, can something like spiritual wisdom, not just knowledge abstractly, but spiritual wisdom and discernment, can it be taught? It can in the sense that we impart the instrument that God uses to bring it about. It can in the sense that we exhort someone to pursue the source of it. There's a father who's putting wisdom before his son in the Proverbs and exhorting him to listen. So he's teaching wisdom. You guys have heard me pray it because I believe it, and I know you believe it as well. Nobody learns unless the Lord teaches them. I can preach 50 times a year. Nobody's going to learn anything unless the Lord teaches them. And so in that sense, even as we're imparting truth to our children as parents, we need to be praying. One of the ways we'll know whether we understand wisdom or not is are we on our knees because whether it's for our life or for someone else's life, if I know who the source of wisdom is, I also know who the ultimate teacher of wisdom is. I can't impart that to someone, but the Lord can. And he's pleased to. I mean, that's the lesson about you know, wisdom crying at the street corner. And the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, get it. Here it is. It's available to you. The Lord is pleased to impart wisdom to his people. We have it in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom are found in him. So there it is, in store, accessible for you. You just have to desire it and pursue it. And it's something you have to pursue. You're not going to stumble into wisdom. You have to pursue wisdom. And so that's the question for you, is do you desire it to the extent that you pursue it? 
and you pursue it in fellowship with the Lord. Again, this is, I believe, one of the great dangers in churches like ours, but especially I'm thinking now about the academy. I'm thinking about seminaries. We can long to learn disciplines without longing to know God. And that's dangerous. So you can be a tremendous student of the original languages, but if you don't know the God who gave those words, you're bankrupt. And you see men like Bart Ehrman, you know, an educated fool. I mean, truly a scholar. And an agnostic, an unbeliever, and he'll admit it, and he says it. So you can be brilliantly foolish, which is why uh, anything we learn, we learn to know the Lord. Boast in this that you know me, the Lord said. That's our joy, that we know him. So if you were to distill this quest for wisdom and a discerning mind that we need, you've mentioned several things, the source of it, Obviously, it flows from knowing the Word of God, knowing the Lord Himself, humbling yourself. If you were to give a body of believers out here today, okay, these are some steps I would impart to you to get a heart of wisdom. What are those steps? You know, three or four things, maybe. Pray for it. Ask the Lord for it. He tells us to. Take Him at His Word. Believe Him. Ask Him. As a brand new believer, that was something I didn't know much of the Bible at all. But I'd read about Solomon asking for wisdom. I don't know that I really thought much about where his life ended up, <laughs> but I just knew he'd ask for wisdom. And so I asked the Lord for that as a very young man, 17 years old. And then I lived in the wisdom literature. I lived in the Psalms and Proverbs, spent a lot of time there. Everyone wants to immediately run to the New Testament. And of course, the New Testament is vital. But the whole Bible belongs to you, Christian. It's all God's word. And so I spent my young years immersed in Proverbs and Psalms and, and thinking about those things as my meditation. So I didn't just read it. I meditated on it. I thought about it. I was plugging it into the various decisions I had to make, even as a young person. And so that would be the second thing I would say is immerse yourself in the wisdom literature. Let it do what God says it will do. He gave Proverbs for that reason. Third thing I would say is never forget that you exist as a worshiper. Again, attach everything you're doing to genuine worship. You get up in the morning, you come to church today, you come back tonight, praise the Lord. Are you really mindful though? I mean, I, I trust you are, but I'm just exhorting you. Are you really mindful of why you're doing this? Because can't we admit it's possible to get into sort of a routine where we're mindlessly doing things? Not that once we're there, we're not blessed. Not that once we're there, we don't sort of connect back up. But I would just exhort you to connect up what you're doing with worship. And then fourth, I would say, trust the Lord and realize you're in the schoolhouse after you leave this church. So when you go home, let's say you have a conflict, you know, you have an argument. No one ever has arguments on Sundays, I know. No one ever has an argument on the way to church or leaving church, ever. But if it were to happen to you, can you just stop for a moment and recognize the presence of the Lord? That you have an enemy. You think the enemy wants to mess Sundays up? I kind of think he does. I think he wants to mess up marriages too. I think he wants to mess up home. So recognize the presence of the Lord and exhort each other in that moment. Hey, the Lord is here. What would he have us do right now? And so if you can do that and connect up your life 
beyond the church house as the schoolhouse, then His Word is being accessed in your mind, your heart, your life 24-7. And that's the way to grow in wisdom and discernment, by the way. Book of Hebrews talks about how discernment is developed, and it's by reason of practice that we are able to discern right from wrong. So you begin to take the Word of God and you apply it in a concrete fashion to the decisions you have to make, and your powers of discernment are sharpened. I was actually going to ask you that just to explain Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's it. I mean, that's how you distinguish good from evil, by the Word of God. And it's by continual practice. In fact, we were talking about this in campus chapel this week with students in the seminary, that you're going to meet with multitude of decisions where you don't have a verse of Scripture to attach to the decision you have to make. So how do you make those decisions? I said to the students, I think you take the same principles by which you try to discern God's will for your job decisions or your family decisions, and you apply that to ministry decisions also, which is to say, as best I know myself, all I want to do here is the will of God. Lord, if the right decision would be to go to the right, then with joy I'll go to the right. If the right decision would be go to the left, then with joy I'll go to the left. I just want to do what pleases you so that I'm at a place of neutrality. Right? I'm not trying to justify what I want to do by making use of the Bible. I want to do the will of God. Then I take what I do know from the Word of God, and I evaluate the decision I have to make by that knowledge of Scripture. And if I still have two avenues available to me, I could go either way. Neither will violate Scripture. If I know I'm delighting myself in the Lord, if I know I just want to do His will, and if I'm living a life saturated with Scripture, I trust my instincts. I trust what I desire to do. And over now a long time, the Lord has been pleased to use that, and I found it to be sound. But what you can't do is run right to the desire card without all the things that I just said that must precede it. I'm going to do this because I want to. Well, that's not a good answer. All those other things I mentioned, are those things true too? Do you really want to please the Lord in this decision? Are you living a life saturated with the Word of God? Have you really examined Scripture about the question you're considering? Can you honestly say that either way would be pleasing to the Lord as best you know the will of God from the Word of God? All those things need to be in place before then you say, this is what I want to do. Yeah, I think that's so helpful. I love this word here in Hebrews 5, words, constant practice. Even Paul says to Timothy, to train yourselves for godliness. Bodily training is of some value, but training in godliness is of value in every way. So that's what we need. I think we've seen many times over in the church and even outside of the church, people go straight to the desire and skip the sort of practice that needs to take place over a life before they are able to exercise discernment and wisdom in the right kind of way. 100%. Diligence and effort. For some reason, I don't know how we ever have it happen to us, but we can fall prey to a wrong way of thinking where we think the Christian life isn't going to be hard. So it doesn't really require persistence, diligence, and it won't require much of me in terms of hard work. And both those things are not true. 
We have to know persistence, diligence, effort. The Christian life is rigorous. And you live in a soft age where people don't like things that are rigorous. And then we want to take that same soft mindset and bring it into the Christian life where we think it's just going to be a sort of quietism. You just let go and let God, and He's going to do it all, and you're going to grow. And that's just not true. You're not going to grow spiritually if you don't know the Bible. What do you have to do to know the Bible? Read it. Learn it. Listen to it preached and taught. And it's going to take effort. It's interesting to me that the apostles spoke of prayer in the language of labor. Prayer is not always going to be easy. There are going to be days you get up and prayer is like second nature. There are going to be days you get up and prayer feels like work. What do you do? You pray. You labor in it. So the Christian life requires that of us. Diligence and effort. We keep talking about wisdom and discernment, these two words that are often associated, not just in our conversation, but in Scripture, these two words are associated with one another. So could you explain maybe the difference or just maybe define both of those words? What's the difference between wisdom and discernment? I would describe wisdom as truth applied. Take the truth of God's Word, and I'm applying that truth to every realm of life. Truth applied to my thoughts, truth applied to my speech, truth applied to my motives, truth applied to my relationships, truth applied to my decisions. This is wisdom. It's taking God's Word and applying it. Discernment is the insight and the understanding that is the result of the practice of wisdom. So the more I do that, now the Lord can produce sort of a razor-sharp kind of insight into situations that you would not have without wisdom, without practicing truth. And we know this instinctively, don't we? We've got a hard-to-understand situation. What do we do? We ask someone whom we know walks with the Lord and knows the Bible and has lived a life where they've demonstrated wisdom. Why do we do that? Because we think they might see something that I don't see. What is that? That's discernment. So I would describe wisdom as the application of truth and then discernment as the insight and the understanding that flows out of that life. Is discernment and wisdom ever to be found in my experiences or emotions, feelings? Can it be, ever? No. So let me say something. I want to take one step back. So I would also say, thinking about the Hebrews passage, discernment is the ability also to set my right on what God has called right and my wrong on what God has called wrong. So I just want to say that. Is it found in your emotions? No. Are there times that God can impart to his people sort of a gut-level instinct about something that proves true? Yes, but you better be very, very careful about that. And you can never be satisfied just with that gut-level instinct. That gut-level instinct had better be examined in the ways that we've all just talked about. So has there ever been a time in your life, child of God, where you just had a sense about something and then eventually it proved to be true? I would not rule out the fact that the Spirit of God can prompt us, warn us in ways like that. But don't put too much confidence in it because I'm going to tell you there are horrible ramifications from going off your instincts that prove to be wrong. This is especially true when it comes to judging other people. I just don't like that person. I don't know why. Must be something wrong in their life. Well, maybe you had pizza last night and there's something wrong in your stomach. I mean, that's a heavy-duty conclusion to come to. And you better have something more than just your gut-level instinct. And there's been a lot of damage done in people's lives because people trusted their instincts instead of 
doing what the Word of God would say, which is we believe the best about each other and we hope for the best about each other. I want to be that person, don't you, that if it turns out something is true of you that I wouldn't have imagined, it would surprise me. I want to think the best about you, not the opposite. So, Yeah, that's very helpful. What do you think Paul means in Ephesians 5.10 when he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? Give me the whole... That's all I wrote down, but okay. if you look it up... <laughs> Where are we at Ephesians five ten. All right, let me look try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I'm more interested in this verb to try. Yeah. What are we getting at when he says try to discern these things? And he not only says that here, but he even says some other places about discerning what the will of the Lord is. That there's almost what you said earlier, the sort of effort and labor associated with this task. So if we back up, put that verse in its context. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints, nor filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no one sexually immoral or impure or greedy who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the truth of that light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 9 is parenthetical. So walking as children of light involves trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And I have a note in my Bible. I can't look to see what the word is and look it up and all that. But the note says proving, could be proving. The idea is what Hebrews talks about, setting my approval on what pleases God, what God's pleased with. So that's what we're doing in the Christian life. That's what it means to walk in the truth. By reason of constant practice, I am wanting to put my approval on what God approves of and my disapproval on what God disapproves of. And that's what it means to walk as a child of light. That's the Christian life. And so what he's describing is that pathway. Yeah, that's very helpful. Romans 12, 2, another passage where Paul brings this up. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And then he says, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'm really interested in that too, because I want to know what the will of the Lord is. And I want to know what is good and acceptable and perfect according to him. And that's all wrapped up in this idea of getting a heart of wisdom and also being able to discern what God's will really is. Right. And it's interesting in that verse, Josh, that you know, there's a negative necessary to embrace in order to experience the positive. Do not be conformed to this world. You can't be pressed into the world's mold, including its view of wisdom. Rather, we're transformed by the Lord as He renews our minds. So His work in us always begins on the inside before it shows up on the outside. And it's in our hearts, which is to say the center of our thinking, our reasoning processes with the Word of God. This is how God transforms the lives of His people, with truth. By truth we are transformed. But there's that negative aspect of this choice that I have to embrace just as much as the positive aspect. I refuse to let the world push me into its mold. Rather, 
Lord, I look to you and to your word to transform my life as you change the way that I think. I was born in sin, and though I'm a saved man, the flesh still abides within me. And apart from being filled with the Spirit, which is submitted to the Lordship of Christ and submitted to the truth, I can still think in ways that would not honor you. So let me be submitted to you as an act of worship. I offer myself a living sacrifice. And in that posture of worship and devotion and submission, transform my life with the knowledge of your word. That's how we live the Christian life. That's helpful and beautifully said. Just a couple more things on my end, unless there's more that you would like to say. There are these websites out there called discernment websites, discernment ministries. And obviously there's some error associated with someone who might think that they have discernment over certain areas of life and is clearly misguided. So I wonder if you could just speak to that and maybe not to name certain uh, places, but just to say, are there any errors associated with having discernment and wisdom or just having access to the wisdom of God here? Does it lead to pride and arrogance and boastfulness? What are the errors associated there? Well, the danger we need to be aware of is not everything that calls itself wisdom is. And not everything that calls itself discernment is. And if you ask, where do we find, in terms of a teaching institution, where do we find wisdom and discernment? The answer is the church is designed by God to be the pillar and support of the truth. So when I look at Scripture, I see the home as being a place where wisdom and discernment are taught and imparted, and I see the church as being the place where wisdom and discernment are imparted and aimed at. So one of the things I want to ask about these discernment ministries, what is their relationship to the local church? And what I want to exhort church members to is stop looking to online discernment ministries for what you ought to believe and plug yourself in deeply to your church. The Lord put you here. This is a faithful church. It's not a perfect church. They don't exist. But it's a faithful church with faithful teachers. Be good learners here. And we're called to shepherd your souls. We're going to give an account one day for how we did that. Our role is to be faithful with that. Your role is to let us do that with joy and not with grief because that would be unprofitable for you, the Bible says. So we ought to strive to be good pastors. You ought to strive to be good church members. And I know the heart of our pastors, and I would say to you, stop looking to YouTube for your discernment. Look into the Word of God. Listen to the church that God has placed you in. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. So there are good things online. I'm not saying there are not. But the good ones that are online, you're going to find men who are churchmen. And if you find men who are not humble, submissive within the context of a faithful local church, you need to run from those guys. Because what they're about is tearing down, not building up. And it's a perversion, it's a distortion of wisdom and discernment. It's really hatefulness cloaked in the language of wisdom and discernment. Yeah, that's helpful. I mean, Paul, even in Romans 16, says, watch out for those who cause divisions. There's a kind of discernment that wise and godly Christians should have, which would divide from those who would cause divisions like these individuals that you're mentioning. And I found, Josh, even when it comes to things that God's people ought to be warned about, I mean, things that are truly destructive to them, there's a way that seasoned pastors do that. And then there's a way that online neophytes do that. And it's not the same. Look, we have 
conferences, and I'm thankful for conferences where people go and they're blessed. But you're living right now at a time when it's like nomads traveling from one conference to the next conference to the next conference to the next conference. And one thing you need to bear in mind about conference speakers who are not pastors is they can drop grenades and walk out the door. We live with what we teach, right? We're shepherding the people that we're teaching. We love the people. We know the people we're teaching. And so that's just another reason to be plugged into your local church. That's where you need to invest your life. So thankful for good online resources, but they're not your shepherds, and it's not your church. And for every person that's been blessed through that sort of influence, I can also name one or two that have been hurt spiritually, that we've been trying to track down in one way or another over the years because they've been influenced by something like that. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing on wisdom and discernment. Was this helpful to you? Yes, amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for founders, Baptist Church. Lord, thank you. It is all of our joy how privileged we are, Josh and I and the other pastors here to serve here, how blessed we are by a church that loves you and loves your word and loves us. And Lord, your people here are blessed too because they're in the company of people who love you and love each other. We don't think, Lord, for a moment that we have created that, that we have the power to sustain that. You build your church, Jesus. This church is yours. And you alone sustain in us what is pleasing in your sight. So we thank you. And we, Lord, want to remain submitted to you. And we want to continue to pursue the things that would, would mean our blessing and not our discipline. So would you strengthen us, Father, to that end, that this would be a church that would glorify you. And Lord, I read those seven letters to the churches in Revelation, and I'm sure congregations were surprised by Jesus, your reproof of them. And Lord, I'm sure we have blind spots here. We just ask that where those exist, you would graciously and mercifully and patiently show us that we might take obedient action, that this church would be more and more of what you would be pleased with. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.